got nine minutes to maximize your travel and casino experience? Welcome to Zorkcast, powered by Travel Zork, helping you travel smarter, gamble smarter, and maximize your adventures. From airline miles and hotel points to living in the lap of luxury in a Las Vegas casino, you'll find all of the knowledge you need to travel in style, brought to you in nine minutes or less. Okay, well, sometimes more than nine minutes, but always less than 36. Now, please welcome the hosts of Zorkcast, your friendly neighborhood American, Michael Mason Traeger, and everyone's favorite Brit, Steve White. Hello, and welcome back to Zorkcast. Steve and I are back again today for another fun episode of Vegas. So anyway, today, well, let's say, hi, Steve, how are you doing? It's been a couple of days. Has the week been treating you well? Yes, the week's been treating me really well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, actually. And I like our topic for today, which you're going to be leading like a true, obsessed UK Vegas fan. And today's topic is, dun, dun, dun. Of course, I say that like as if there's a drum roll, but of course, they've read the description on the podcast when it drops. Yes. So it probably isn't. <laughs> today's episode, is, we will be talking. <laughs> this is the wonderful thing that you'll notice already from this very beginning of this episode. And if you go back and listen to lots of episodes, Michael doesn't know when to shut up. And it's really hard to get a word in edgeways. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I will shut up this episode. So today, Steve will be talking about flying to <laughs> Vegas from the United Kingdom. Yes. I, <laughs> anyway, so before you start, this is the point at which I say, so Steve, do you have anything <laughs> to say about this topic? And then I shut up. <laughs> And this is where we now have a load of dead air. So, um, so I really think that we have to make a point here that actually, historically, maybe not at the moment because we're in the middle of this whole pandemic, but historically, there are a lot of options for flying nonstop to Vegas from the UK, right? So let's just quickly go through them. I think you can go from London Gatwick, but you like to tout my favorite airport, which it isn't. <laughs> Heathrow. You can also go from Manchester. And I believe... You may know more about this than me, but I believe you can fly from Scotland too. Am I making that up? You might be. You know, I will tell you, I am extremely London focused. And mm. I, do, I also don't pay attention to the charter companies. And I know the charter, there are some additional flight routes through the charter companies. So I would say, actually, you're the man who knows more about that. But I think, yeah, I, think maybe... I believe that you have to connect in London if you're flying from Scotland. However, I think there have been flights in the past from Glasgow. But I'm sure someone will tell me that anyway, if I'm wrong. But, but the idea is there are lots of different ways in which you can fly and lots of different options in regards to airlines too. So different people have different kind of preferences. Now, Michael, we are obviously fairly biased towards, well, I would, I would say I'm fairly biased towards BA. How about you? Yes, I'm very biased towards BA, but I'm not biased towards BA because I really love BA. Because yeah. I don't really love BA. Like, I, I don't irrationally, because I know some people have this, like, irrational love for airline brands. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, it's the same way people have some irrational love of certain casinos. And I don't really feel that, but I feel that there are enough components of what BA does. Now, of course, setting aside the pandemic, 
issues, but the fact that I'm 35 minutes from London Heathrow, the fact that London Heathrow is a really good passenger experience with regard to lounges and first wing and things like that. Yeah, and so that's a caveat we have to, we have the- to make. The fact that Michael and I are both BA Gold Card holders as well, which makes the experience very different and gives you perhaps more of a reason to stick with the, the One World Alliance, for example. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the other thing about it is BA has had a nice nonstop schedule from Heathrow to Vegas. That's been convenient. I think it's it was for a long time consistently, I think, two flights a day, right? I mean, yeah, so this is, well, this is the thing. There was also the Gatwick flight that Virgin only recently moved to Heathrow, didn't they? They were going from uh, Gatwick, solely from Gatwick, until I think it was last year, they moved the flight over to Heathrow. So you don't really have another option from Heathrow. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing about, and, you know, this conversation would have been so interesting if we were having this conversation in December, as opposed to having this conversation now in July. Years ago, the concept of a UK airport or any London airport flying nonstop to Vegas would have been a real far out concept. <laughs> I mean, that's, it just didn't, it, it, right? I mean, it just wasn't something that was there. Now, in the last couple of years, especially when you look at the expansion of the BA route network to the United States, it's like people forget, but there are a lot of nonstop flights from the UK. And it's amazing, but people forget it wasn't always like that. Oh, yeah. Another great example of that is the Nashville flight. I know you, you know I love my country music. And that flight's been going, well, I think a couple of years now. And, and it's been selling, to my knowledge, really, really well. Now, that may be a casualty of, of the pandemic. Who knows? But having flights to those sort of places just wasn't an option from the UK before. Yeah. So I guess a big question that I would ask you, and, and this is the, a big conversational point question, to connect or not to connect with regard to saving money on your flights to Las Vegas and treating this as a general thing, not getting into specifics on cabins. And the other thing Mm -hmm. is to make a differentiation, which maybe to some of our listeners who don't understand a geography well, obviously for someone like me who lives near London airports, when I say I'm going to fly nonstop or connect, nonstop for me means a London airport to Las Vegas, connect means a London airport to somewhere in the United States, clearing customs and then transferring flights to Las Vegas. For somebody somewhere else in the UK, it might mean connecting at Heathrow. So I think maybe you should address some of that because it isn't the same for everyone in the UK with regard to using the terminology nonstop and connection. I mean, I'm very similar to you. Obviously, I, I live in the southeast. So I live very near to, um, ironically, closer to Gatwick, but I prefer Heathrow, so I tend to fly from Heathrow. But I don't think there's an issue connecting from, say, Scotland down to, to Heathrow. I feel like that's a fairly seamless connection, particularly if you're booked on one ticket and with the same airline. I don't like to fly with a connection in the States, personally. There's too many variables at play for me, going through customs, having to recheck my bag, extending the flight time because it's already a long flight. For me personally, I'd rather pay a little bit more and, and fly nonstop. The exception maybe I would consider is, is flying via Dublin because you've got pre-clearance in Dublin. So you can do all your customs clearance there and, and arrive as basically a domestic US flight. So that may be one other option to look at. The only problem with the Dublin option though is that unless Dublin was nonstop to Vegas, you are right having thing. to yeah. you having you remember you're having to fly to Dublin 
And then you're having to fly from Dublin to a point in the US, and then you're having to connect at that point. Again, so in essence, it's a double connection, which I think starts to get even worse than single. I mean, I think the point becomes money a lot of times for people, but also like the cost benefit relationship when they're looking at that. Yeah. And if you can fly, I mean, there are often deals where you can fly. And I I know we're not going to go into this too much because it's like a whole new episode. We seem to say that a lot. It's a whole new episode. We talk about it another time. But to fly sort of ex-EU and the idea of starting your flight perhaps somewhere elsewhere in Europe because the taxes are lower, quite often you can save a lot of money doing that. But it's usually, in my experience, if you're flying in the premium cabins. Um, And I wouldn't necessarily recommend it otherwise. And that's agreed. And also... People who are dealing with status and premium cabins and retaining status if they don't fly a lot on business, there are other variables that come into the equation. I think the biggest one for us, for most of what our audience is, is if you're thinking about flying to Las Vegas, is it worth it? If the flight is 520 pounds, I'm making this up, it's 520 pounds for a connection or 690 for a nonstop, you know, what's the savings that's enough when you think about it to extend your trip and introduce these variables? And it is a personal choice, but I think a lot of times, I mean, I would say, yes, saving money is always saving money, but if you're only going to save 50 or 100 pounds on your airfare, then Connecting is really, really foolish, in my opinion, if your goal is to spend the most time in Las Vegas. Yeah, you have to. It's like that old that old idea of, OK, what do you value more? Do you value more your time or the money? And usually for me also, it, it's the time. I'd rather have the extra time in, in Vegas rather than, than save 50 pounds. Right. And the other thing is, too, I guess we didn't have this one on our list, but you need to be very cautious when you buy airfare, what's included in the airfare and if that makes a difference for you with regard to like most British Airways fares include one check bag. A lot of those fares are not hand baggage only, but when you fly in an airline like Norwegian, you know, like usually British Airways, you've got a meal, you've got a drink, you've got a bag. Let's just say you better make sure you're doing an apples to apples comparison, especially with the low cost carriers, because you might be cheating yourself in the end unless you conform to their standard. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that at least with the airlines like Verge Atlantic and BA, I would say they're the main two that I would recommend using. You're going to get a fairly similar service in terms of you're going to get your food included, your drinks included. You're going to get one check bag and whatever. I guess the interesting thing is things like seat selection. You need to weigh up the cost of that. Are you going to book a seat in advance? Are you going to wait till check-in? There's so many different variables at play. And you need to consider all of those when you're looking at the price as well. Yeah. And then there are certain variables with regard to the seat thing, which are a little bit tricky, like premium cabins on most airlines if you have no status, but you book a premium cabin, either with points or for maybe a discounted business class fare, you get to choose your seat assignment. On British Airways, that is not the case. So yeah. I believe with I, Virgin, I know... you do still get to choose your seat, but with mm-hmm. BA, you don't. Right. That could make yeah. a difference for like premium economy. So something yeah, like so... premium economy, I mean, I'll let you carry on with that. But I think with something like premium economy, that could be something you think about if you want two people sitting together. Yeah. And the other thing I think, which leads quite nicely into my other suggestion, is you need to look at 
sort of the conditions of that booking. So one of my favorite things to do, for example, is to book premium economy World Traveler Plus on BA because virtually any World Traveler Plus fare can be upgraded with Avios to business class. So a good example of doing that is I think I booked recently Toronto. I booked in premium economy and it cost me 20,000 Avios to upgrade the business class each way. However, I must have saved upwards of 2,000 pounds on if I'd, I'd paid directly for the seat itself in business originally. So that's one of my top tips. I think that's a real value option and a good way of using Avios, particularly if you're not Avios rich, because if you're booking an Avios flight to the States, you're usually going to get hammered with taxes anyway, or ripped off in terms of your points. No, I think it's a really good example. I've been saying for a long time that World Traveler Plus is an incredible sweet spot, which is British Airways premium economy for your bookings, just because what you said, basically there are very few rules. There's only the availability issue with regard yeah. to the World Traveler Plus upgrading to club, which is business class. The problem with World Traveler or economy class tickets upgrading to World Traveler Plus with Avios is that they're heavily fare restricted and it seldom mm. is a logical thing to do. So the World Traveler yes. Plus, but also, I mean, there are two ways to look at it. Right now, there's more availability for upgrades than before because of all of the restrictions flying to the United States. But British Airways is pretty good about having availability out there. So you can usually, if you work hard enough, find the dates that work or maybe find at least one segment that works. And then you can yes. set up flight alerts and be alerted yes. when the upgrade is available. But the nice thing about this is you're buying your World Traveler Plus at the cheapest price you can get it. And the worst case scenario is you're stuck in premium economy, which is still not that bad. So I think yes. that's a good so thing to think about. That's an excellent point. And that's exactly that. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's exactly what I've done with my flight I just mentioned. So I was able to upgrade on the outbound, but not coming back. So I've set up an alert. So I'll hopefully be able to upgrade on the way back. But if I can't, premium economy is not that bad. And VA have, have refurbished a lot of their premium economy cabins. I think they're still going through them, aren't they? But worst case scenario, it's not that bad. And I know there'll be some listeners listening to this who are gold card holders or, or even uh, silver card holders with VA. And and would say, well, you've got a chance of, a, of an operational upgrade. For me personally, I, I like to think of I'd rather secure that upgrade and use my Avios rather than wait and see. But if you're fine with premium economy, that's the other option. If you've got status in particular and you're traveling on your own, which I normally am, there's a great opportunity there for operational upgrades. And I've had a fair few traveling alone to the States. So to explain to people, and it's not something that's happening very much now because the flights are empty, but an operational mm -hmm. upgrade is when an airline basically has run out of seats in a specific cabin, they've overbooked the flight. So usually the simplest example is they've overbooked the flight in economy class and you're in economy class, let's pretend. And they now need yeah. five more seats in economy class, but there are empty seats in World Traveler Plus and empty seats in mm -hmm. Club. So what they will do is they will look at the status level and a couple of other factors, and they will roll the cabins. So they will roll yeah. some people from world traveler from economy to premium economy. And then if that fills up premium economy, they might have to roll some of the premium economy people to business class. And this can happen in a lot yeah. of scenarios. Sometimes it's just premium economy 
that happens to be oversold and sold out and they need to push some people to club. So it's it's an interesting yeah. it's an interesting perk which isn't talked about that often. It's really good business. This is another great episode. It's really good business by an airline to understand how to overbook flights properly. And yeah. I know some of the people who aren't into aviation are like, what? Isn't that the worst thing to do? It's like, no. The goal <laughs> of of strategically overbooking is to basically fill up the flight exactly 100%. And if the worst case scenario is they need to move some people from economy to premium, from premium to business, but that allows you to fill the plane 100%, you are doing a great job. And the simple reason for this, really simple to understand, you might be sitting in an economy class ticket where that segment costs you 200 pounds or 250 pounds. I'm Mr. Last Minute Business Emergency who needs to buy a one-way ticket. I bought an economy class ticket for 2,000 pounds. So what they're doing is they're overselling it to sell another ticket for a considerably higher amount of money. And the worst case scenario in many cases is they just need to shift people within the cabin. So it's really yes. good business. And even if it doesn't work out and they need to involuntary deny boarding, often the compensation, it still works out mathematically. So I digress a little bit, but I, I like to get away from the concept where people think that overbooking is bad. It actually keeps airlines efficient and makes them profitable. Yeah. And I mean, it'd be interesting to see what happens with these operational upgrades going forward, because historically, I always found that premium economy used to sell out nearly every other time I was flying. Um, and so I'd get a lot of upgrades. But of course, now BA have started with their newer planes and the densification of planes have started to make that premium economy cabin much bigger and, and make the business cabin smaller. So it'd be interesting to see how that maybe changes over the next few years as those cabins change in, in size. Yeah. Well, I think there's a very logical reason why premium economy for leisure travelers hits a nice little sweet spot. And I'm making up the numbers again. Mm -hmm. If your round trip economy fare is about 800, maybe the premium economy is 1200. But unless there's a big sale for the business class, that's 3,900. So a lot of people mm -hmm. are willing to spend the delta between 800 and 1200 for a better experience and more space on a plane, but they're not willing to go from 800 to 3,700. So premium yes. economy really does serve a really, and at least to me, that's been now, there were sometimes luxury sales where the business class could be only slightly more than the premium. I'm not, but I'm just talking in a general sense. Remember, most people don't travel the way Steve does. Like most people are not tracking these things religiously. And when they find the <laughs> perfect opportunity to snag a business class fare, that's almost as much as a word traveler they're booking. Most people are like, hey, honey, when are we doing holiday this summer? Or what are we doing? You know, okay, those are the dates we want to fly. Great. How much does it cost to fly on those dates? I don't approach it that way. And I'm pretty sure Steve doesn't approach it that way. But most travelers just approach it date first and then from there. And when you do that, you do miss a couple of opportunities to get really good fares. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I've done some crazy routes before as well. You know, you could go into tier point runs and everything. I think I took 13 flights in one go once uh, just for status, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But I think you just have to play the game best you can if you've only got certain holiday dates and you have to take it between that time. I think there's still opportunities. You just got to really look out for them. And you could also go into the realms of looking at the loads for the flight, how many seats are taken and stuff. 
but really the average person is not going to do that are they so even if you do that and you have a look at that sort of thing you're you're one up on, on everyone else and, and looking for those opportunities it could be you could fly a day later and the cabin is pretty much sold out you've got more chance of an upgrade or it could not work out so at the end of the day you have to do the best thing for you and what's right for you because at the end of the day for some people as well the flight doesn't matter they just want to get to vegas for us we, we like the flight we like flying <laughs> so i used to like i used to like flying <laughs> <laughs> it's like weighing up the well, options I, though isn't it yeah and i think it's really important to stress again this non-stop versus connection thing because i know a lot of people downplay it like they downplay it oh it's no big deal it worked out fine. I flew on United and Newark was fine. Or I flew, you know, on American through Chicago and it was all fine. Honestly, that's great and all, but it is a variable. Depending on the time of the year, it can be a significant yeah. variable. One thing people need to understand, and they really forget this, U.S. airlines owe you nothing for weather. That means throughout yeah. the summer, there are thunderstorms everywhere. And in the winter, there's something called snow which you guys yeah. are, don't really understand snow in the UK. So <laughs> so when there is a weather problem and you connect through Newark or Chicago, they will not pay for your hotel. They will not worry about your reaccommodation. It's sort of like you get what you get. Now, maybe your travel insurance will cover some of it, but you need to be really careful. Operational or mechanical issues, that's fine. But weather is often not covered the way that you would like it to be covered. And the U.S. has serious weather issues many times a year at many different hubs. Whereas if you're flying from Gatwick or Heathrow nonstop to Vegas, sure, the flight might be delayed. Heck, it might be canceled and you have to fly the next day. But when you get on that plane, you're going to land in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> so and the, other, the, other, well, the other thing to think about is, is just, we are very lucky in Europe, we have protections very much in favor really of the customer, not the airline. So if you can't fly, let's say you're going from Heathrow and it's snowing, it's February, it's snowing, you can't fly. They have to put you in a hotel. They have to look after you and put you on the plane the next day. They have to get you there. So it's just worth it for that. For me, peace of mind, especially if I'm going on a holiday, is really important. And it's that duty of care. And the U.S. doesn't yeah. treat all of that the same. So don't push aside this whole like, oh, connections are no big deal. You need to keep it in the back of your mind. And of course, once again, of course, these are things that you consider. If you get, I mean, there are some rocking economy class fares, like 350 pounds, 400 pounds. Yeah. Sure. If you're getting a ridiculously cheap flight connecting through, I get it. That's fine. You're saving hundreds. I'm just saying, think about it, you know, just think about it when you see something and you're looking like I'm only saving a hundred pounds and think, okay, but you know, you're now basically gambling that everything is going to go fine. And if it doesn't go fine, you would be literally like, I would pay 400 pounds just to be in Vegas right now. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. so it's, you, could, you could be saving a hundred pounds, but then you're having to also spend three hours running across a massive airport, changing from Terminal 7 to Terminal 1 just to make your flight. And then to me, that's not fun. That's not a good way to start the holiday. Yeah. Or your flight's then delayed again in the United States and you don't have access to a lounge and you go sit at a bar and you drink 100 pounds worth of cocktails because you're so pissed off. <laughs> so and then you wound up saving nobody. Like and you missed experience. 
<laughs> no, I've never done such a thing. Anyway, are there any final things that you would like to give Steve as a suggestion for people flying from the UK to Vegas? And of course, I think this is something where you can really encourage conversation on some of the social platforms and maybe encourage what people would like us if we, they'd like us to do a follow up to this and what they would like us to follow up on. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely get in touch with us and, and let us know your thoughts. I mean, I hear a lot of the time, obviously, people prefer flying from Gatwick to Vegas because the flight is in the morning. So you land in Vegas a little bit earlier. I, I kind of understand that. I've flown from Gatwick a couple of times. I, and, you know, I know you're going to take the Mickey out of me, but I have. But the other thing I like to do, for example, is I will often book an airport hotel and stay over the night before my flight. Now, you may think, well, that's crazy because I live in the southeast. I live an hour from Heathrow and 45 minutes from Gatwick. But for me, I like to relax the night before. That's the start of the holiday for me. Often I'll book a, a, an airport hotel that includes parking, and it doesn't actually cost me that much more by staying the night than booking the parking itself. So there's all kinds of little variables and things. People are different. People like to do things in different ways. But that's something I like to do. I like to um, get to the airport really early because I like to go to the lounge. <laughs> but if you don't have lounge access, maybe you're not wanting to do that. So there's so many different things we could talk about. So if you have any suggestions, definitely get in touch. I guess the best probable way to do that is to tweet us. You can get a hold of me at Las Vegas UK. And Michael, I'll let you give your details out too. Sure. And you can get me at Travel Zork. And I would also say maybe in the Zorkcast Facebook group, that's also a good place to conversationally say like, and we're happy to answer this because we love this topic. Say like, hey, I yeah. saw this fair deal, but it's got three connections in the United States. What do you think about the logic <laughs> of me taking this flight? It's only 300 pounds, but I mean, I it seems a little crazy. We're happy to talk about those things. We do that all the time. And it yes. is good sometimes to run that, if, especially if you don't know the airports, right? I mean, it's it's sort of yeah. good to know them. And I'm, I'm so always great. posting on Twitter if I find a good fare too. I, I'm very good at doing that and sharing good fares in Vegas. So yes. keep an eye out. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us today. And until next time. You've reached the end of your stay with us on this episode, but we encourage you to visit our website for more resources at TravelZork.com and to continue the conversation on Twitter and Insta at TravelZork and on the ZorkCast Facebook group. Travel smarter, gamble smarter, and maximize your adventures right here on ZorkCast. Until next time, dream big and remember, a dollar won is twice as sweet as a dollar earned. <laughs>